Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. on Rashpixel.fm. My name is Pete Wright, and I am here with Howard Tybal. Pete, it's so good again to spend some time with you. Always. We don't do this enough. No, that is the actually, truth. Actually, we do do it a ton. We probably do it more than enough. Yeah, we do. Maybe I, I, that's I don't, the truth. I don't, actually, we possibly this is do it too much. I'm finished. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is an exciting... I am very excited about this podcast. Are you really? Oh, su- supremely. I've been waiting for a long time to uh, get Sue on the show with me, but I'll let you introduce her. Well, I can't wait to hear your enthusiasm. Your cup runneth over over the course of the next 20 minutes. On September 28th, the Nakubo 2015 Planning and Budgeting Forum kicks off in Austin, Texas, and you, Howard Teibel, will be there joining Sue Mendito, Nakubo's Director of Accounting Policy, in this presentation on leadership and change and getting the organization you want and... We are thrilled to have Sue Mendito join us for our conversation today. Sue, welcome, first-timer, to Navigating Change. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. A little nervous, but excited. You can't tell. You, you can't, can't tell. tell. No, she hides that so well. Regular George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> Sue, get us started here, will you? The, the Planning and Budget Forum, this is uh, it's something that's been going on for—it's for, for a, a, it's a regular staple for Nakubo, but it's not a show that we—or an event that we have talked about on this show before. So could you give us a bit of a background on— the the planning and budget forum. What is it? Who's it for? And uh, and and then we'll dig into the uh, a conversation about what you and Howard will specifically be talking about. Sure, I'd love to. Well, I believe this is our fourth planning and budgeting forum. So a few years ago, we decided that this area is is so important that we wanted to elevate it to a conference. Before it became a conference, we would do various workshops and try to teach technical planning and budgeting skills, and it always sort of fell flat because planning and budgeting just isn't about adding up numbers and moving the numbers around on a spreadsheet. Planning and budgeting really is kind of at the core of your organization. You know, what's your vision? How are you going to get there financially? All right. So we decided to have this conference style program again four years ago, and it's going really well. We have about 350 business officers that will be in Austin. And by when I say business officers, I mean all types. We've got chief financial officers. We've got budget directors, some institutional researchers. Occasionally, we get a provost or two. I don't know if we have any this time. We have academic department heads and um, it, a, a group of colleagues for the two-day event that are there to exchange ideas, learn new things, experience some case, case studies from their colleagues, and um, try to put it all together when they get back home. That really helps illuminate some things for me, because reading the title of, of the conference, it, it reads like a technician's conference. But what I'm hearing you say, and particularly given the the sort of stew of different uh, titles that show up for this event, this is, uh, this is much broader in uh, uh, sort of scope and ambition than just, as you say, moving numbers around on a spreadsheet. I, I think so. I mean, I mean, you're going to get a lot of our attendees are very, very good at moving numbers around on a spreadsheet or they wouldn't be vice presidents of finance or AVPs or budget directors. But um, this is something more. Uh, This community gets to learn from each other 
and talk about their uh, their bright spots, their successes, and as well as some of their challenges. Okay, so this is a great uh, segue into this conversation about what you guys are going to be talking about at the event. So I'll turn to Howard to get us started on that. Your home turf is uh, is change and uh, transformation, Howard. How did yep. this end up on your docket? Well, just because I, uh, you know, every time I see Sue, I, you know, I just sit down with her every chance I get, and we start talking again, and she's like, you know what, maybe we have you back for this, because I think, Sue, I've done one of these before, correct? Last I, year, or I did, did the tax form once one year, and you did managerial analysis where you talked yes. about effective communication. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's what's interesting, and here's how Sue prompted me for this, which I think is really relevant. Uh, which is the idea behind it, because if you look at the website, as you noticed, you know this year's topics address financial reserves, benchmarking, performance, capital planning, all the all the foundational. Uh, work that makes up a planning process at a college or university. At the same time, one of the things that Sue said to me when I saw her at a conference over the summertime is that's not the skills that really are going to produce the change needed uh, to, to, to bring in uh, a, a different level of thinking around the work. And it's not just the chief financial officer's responsibility. It's not the probe. It is... Everybody doing the work has a role to play in this. And I think that what Nakubo's done uh, brilliantly in this way is they have said, we need to dig in more deeply to those who are closer to the work. You know, if you think about a chief business officer, uh, they are spending, if they're doing their job well, they are delegating much of the work to the people who are in the trenches actually dealing with the budget cycles. But at the same time, the, the skills around a, being a financial, doing financial analysis uh, or accounting are, is the foundation. Like, that's the given. The, the work of higher ed, and you and I have talked about this many times, Pete, is in, in this transformation that higher ed's going through, uh, what's needed from all levels in the organization is to be able to look at what you're trying to get done and focus on how do I motivate others? How do I bring innovation uh, to the experience. So that's what we're going to focus on in this topic uh, that we're calling getting the organization you want. So, so, so is that a fair characterization of, of what interests you about the topic that you and I talked about? Yes, I think it's a really fair characterization. Um, as you said, the technical skills are given. You know, you, of course, you need people who are really good with numbers and modeling and moving things around. But you can do all of that sitting at your desk. You can have a team of people doing that sitting at their desks. But what does it matter? It's like the tree falling in the forest. Did anyone hear it? Right. You have to get out there and sell the spreadsheet you've put together and get people interested in what the numbers mean, how it will impact their lives going forward, why they should buy into a given plan or a given strategy or a given set of tactics so that the organization can move forward in that numeric within the constructs of that numeric map. And you know what's fascinating about that, Pete, is 
if you think about most people's jobs, I don't think we teach people going into their careers at, at most levels that their job is to lead that kind of, it's, it's not about the spreadsheet. It's about being able to sell the spreadsheet. It's not about the numbers. It's how do you translate for that for others? How do you translate the academic structure, uh, the programs that you're offering to faculty? So, so much of this is about recognizing you have a bigger role to play at any level in an organization to be to be a communicator and to be a change agent. And and the the power of this, from my perspective, is when you when you have this conversation with people, this is what makes people's jobs interesting and exciting. And what people mostly need is permission to engage in that kind of conversation. Oh, talk more about this idea of permission, uh, Howard, because I, of course, you know, my perennial favorite speaking truth to power. This, this really, I think this topic really drives home the, the evolving role of the CBO, right? The, it, just like we don't teach enough high school graduates how to do their taxes, right? Or, or how to balance their checkbooks anymore. Um, I, I feel like we, you know, we have this, uh, this cadre of CBOs that uh, are becoming more and more aware because of the increased pressures of the, of the job, the increased breadth of responsibility that they, they have to take an increased interest in selling their importance of their initiatives, in selling the importance of, you know, plant and bookstore operations and, you know, the list goes on and on. But so much of that isn't that about them taking ownership, taking this sort of new um, kind of interest in ownership and taking permission to do the job they need to do. All right. So let's take this one step further. You you talk about CBOs as the chief chief business officer. I would speculate that of the 350 people there, there will be CBOs. But for the most part, the planning and budget form is really about getting the cadre of individuals who report into the the division of finance or the chief business officer, and they are the ones that need to give themselves permission to say, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to tell me that my job is to help move this initiative forward, that I'm going to play a role in this. Now, now the interesting thing about a chief business officer, and Sue and I, you, you and I both know this, is that when you combine influence with authority, when you combine influence with being the boss, you have a lever that you can pull when you need to. But, but really, the, 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 the permission piece for me is reminding people that if you don't take the step, if you're waiting for somebody to tell you, uh, your job is to take this analysis that you've done and go out and enroll the faculty to understand. If you're waiting for them to give you that permission, then you are likely going to wait a long time. And it's not that business officers don't know to give it the permission. It's a matter that our focus, we are so busy in our own areas that the, the people who are excelling in their jobs, and I'll be talking about this, the people who excel in their roles are people that understand that they don't wait for others to say you have permission, that they give themselves permission. What do you think of that, Sue? I think that's very, very relevant. Permission, gosh, it's a loaded word. So mm. um, everyone from, uh, I guess, top to bottom has to uh, embrace the fact that 
um, you're working in a, in a complex web, all right? And even if your job is to uh, foot and cross-foot columns, you're a staff person, right? Yep. You have to be able to talk about the importance, what the num- what, what it means, what the result of your footing and cross-footing means, and how it touches a colleague's world, okay? So you have to feel empowered to do that, even if you're a staff person. Exactly. That way of thinking, it seems to me, keeps you from being closed off and working in your, uh, you know, this word is overused, it's almost cliche, working in your own little silo, you know? So you, you embrace the notion that you can explain what this footed and cross, what these footed and cross-footed totals mean and how it affects someone else. In another and, and, area, in another department. Absolutely, and you know what comes to mind as you're as you were just describing that is that, and I understand this behavior. I, I sometimes bump up against this, but but sometimes we end up being too careful. And in being too careful or waiting for someone to say, here's what I need you to do, because, you know, I think people have a natural tendency to not want to overstep their bounds. But my my. My feeling is strongly that we have to take some risk and and push on that boundary of what we think that 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 role is, and sometimes risk stepping into something where somebody might say to us, you know, why didn't you wait for me to tell you to do this? That's that's an art. You need to learn how to go to your boss and say, you know what, here's what I want to do. Do I have your permission versus I'm giving you an update that I did this and your boss likely, I think nine times out of 10 will say, you know what, thank you for taking initiative. So initiative is at the heart of that conversation and it's not initiative about doing a better job with the numbers. It's initiative in terms of getting out there as you're talking about. There's a perception of finance in the broader higher education environment that these are people that sit behind closed doors and their then their job is just to make sure the numbers are good and the numbers are solid but but there is a disconnect especially on the academic side between what the administrators are doing and there's a perception that the that the administrative side doesn't care about what they really think. Now, this is not true across the board, but when I do my talks around the country, I can tell you more often than not, when I say to administrators, you need to make more of an effort to get out there and go on to faculty turf and meet with them. When I say to faculty, you've got to show some interest in what it means to run this university and your finance people are the best people to to reach out to. People resonate with that message. And I think that part of the message here is we need to find a way to break down those silos by having the focus be, like you just said, getting out there versus just getting, you know, getting our numbers done and then emailing them to the appropriate people. And I think there's various ways you get out there. Um, And as a leader, you help your staff get out there. I once worked with this leader that had a rule. He was a chief business officer. And the rule was among all his staff, take someone to lunch, go go to lunch with someone Mm -hmm. outside of your of this department once a month and try to learn the world of of others on this campus. 
And that's really, really powerful. I mean, how else do staff grow and understand, you know, their what, you know, how their role might fit into the bigger picture? And so then if you're a chief business officer, you, you you're always challenged to think creatively about how to how to grow your staff, how to grow your organization, how to get the organization you want in in many, many ways. It's so multidimensional. I you know, the so many stories I've heard of of late talking about you know, business officers and how they landed in their roles, so many of them come back with some variant of the story uh, that it was accidental. They love their jobs, they love what they do, but they had no idea when they first started working, even in higher ed, uh, that they would ever become a business officer. What I like about what you both are talking about here is that there is a degree of intentionality to it. When you go out and you learn about the other areas of the institution, when you learn how to build this partnership, um, there is a degree of intentionality that you you want to grow not only your own experience, but a partnership between uh, for your staff, give your staff the experience to see uh, what is the next step possibly for you. Where do you want to best contribute? Um, how does this idea of sort of intentional cross-training apply to getting the organization you want? What I think you're picking up on is this idea that we have to, like you just said, you know, as Sue talked about, getting out and taking people to lunch and sitting down with them. And rather than that being cross-training, because I think of training as educating people how to do it versus that's cross-training. It's really about educating people uh, by, as Sue said, taking the time to understand what their concerns about and then you meet them on their turf. So a faculty member comes to you. Let's say that uh, you know the director of budget sits down and says, and meets with um, a couple of faculty members or maybe a dean and says, "Listen, here's the kinds of um, you know we can provide you any kind of reports. Tell me what are some of the things on a monthly basis you'd like to know that you're not getting." And then they tell you, and then next thing you know, with a little bit of tweaking, you can actually create something that's meaningful versus what typically happens happens is behind closed doors, we decide as administrators, here's what we think they need. And we don't go out of our way to really test this by asking the question. When you make those small gestures, it goes such a long way to building trust. So so I think that Sue's, Sue's example of saying, you know, right, I'm going to start by once a month. I mean, let's say, keep it really simple. Once a month, I'm going to take somebody out to lunch who I do not see on a regular basis or I never see, and I'm going to make an effort to get outside of my own my own area and learn about the larger organization. If more people did that, Pete, we would, we would find the culture shifting from, I think, this, this mindset of you – know, actually, it would be moving towards, I think – what I'm looking for more and more when I'm working with organizations is a sense of hope, a sense of, you know what, we can do this. Uh, because when you dig in there, uh, and I'm not talking about the institutions that are in great shape, but there's a lot of morale issues out there. Uh, and often we don't want to talk about it. 
And morale has a lot to do with our willingness to feel like we're not alone. When, when we feel like we can, we have others that are in it with us, that can shift our sense of um, and move to a more positive morale that we're in this together. It's hard, but we can do it together. Yeah, I think that gets to that gets to my point, Howard. And I was, you know, I was looking, you know, thinking more along the lines of, um, you know, growing your your team and growing your department by giving them that sort of visibility and that encouragement to reach out beyond the yeah, walls of finance, you know, and I, I think that's a, that's a really important um, kind of facility to, to engage your team in something that, you know, they, they, they also can take permission. You know, and Sue, I, I think that what Nakubo offers, I mean, and there's so much that it offers between programs and services and webcasts and, and, and uh, you know, actual data, the work that you live in, in terms of, you know, there's, there's so much uh, good publications that it produces. But I think ultimately, the power of what Nakubo does is it finds a way to bring like-minded individuals or people across the different institutions together, like you said at the beginning, to share best practices or ideas for doing things differently and that that you know what's amazing to me is that uh i mean you know there was a time not too long ago where we were surprised that people were coming to conferences in in increasing numbers especially after 2008 and i think what we discovered tell me if you agree with this, what we discovered is that even in difficult times, people felt even more of a desire to want to come together and and uh, and learn from each other. So now we're in a relatively good place, I think, at least in our economy and the perception of where we are. And and you got 350 people coming to this. So it's it's clearly a testament that there is a strong desire. Uh, what, what do you when you think about this this you know the the ability to draw 350 people to a conference like this? What do you see is going on that that makes such a strong you know strong showing like that? Well, I think people are highly motivated. Um, I think I said earlier, planning and budgeting or planning and resource allocation are sort of at the core of what the business office needs to worry about, think about, succeed at. And um, so, so people want to learn and they want to learn from others. They want to meet others that are who are similarly situated and i have to say we we're we're at a wait list you know we you know sometimes we underestimate we think oh, okay you know we can fit 400 or 425 people you know this isn't our annual meeting our our annual showcase this is planning and budgeting and then all of a sudden we have a wait list and then so we learn something at this conference and we try to make next year's conference a little bigger the other thing that's really exciting that happens is by attending this conference or the one last year, or the year before that, you see some really good presentations. You, you go back to your own campus and you say, "What are we doing that's exciting? I want I want our school to be on that stage next year and present." Nice, nice. Well, I got to tell you, I am so thrilled that you invited me to be part of this, mostly so I could spend more time with you. <laughs> Again, I think you say that to everyone you work with, but that's stop why we it. I don't <laughs> say that to everybody. That's a myth. Well. I'm really excited that you're going to be kicking us off. I think uh, 
you will set the right tone uh, for for this exciting conference. There will be something for everyone, and there will be enough technical to make people happy, but it's how you accomplish the technical that's going to be really uh, in, invaluable, an and invaluable not, learning experience. And let's not forget, Sue, that it's also in a really cool part of Texas. Austin is nice. Yes. Austin is cool. It's, it's the one place I got my I got my first real cowboy boots from Austin. I'm doing a project out there, and I love being out. When's the last time you were in Austin, Sue? Uh, about a year and a half ago. I, I love the restaurants in Austin. Oh, they're awesome. You know, Pete, have you been there? Or oh. you don't get that too much. Oh, I I have I have been there, and uh, well, I mean, you know. Austin is is Texas Portland. Is That's right. How we refer to it, right? <laughs> Texas I mean, Portland, no question. Austinlandia, uh, really is, <laughs> is more appropriate. Uh, I, Howard, you you actually held a live armadillo in Austin, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, where and, the heck and was this? There, oh, no, I think it was San Antonio. Oh, it must have been San Antonio. Well, I yeah. I was hoping for. I bet your friend is down there is probably waiting for another. Snuggle. Uh, uh, yeah, that 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 experience. <laughs> Sue, there was a. It was part of an opening event at one of the regional conferences, and we had armadillo races, and we got to hold armadillos, and that was the first and last time that's going to happen for me. I, I, you know what I love so much about that? When you say we had armadillo races, I, I can't help but picture uh, you actually racing against an armadillo. Uh, and I wonder he had to encourage the armadillo like a frog (laughs) to go against another armadillo and I'm telling you I have not seen an armadillo in New England ever and I'm you know they they don't they're they're quite the creature if you ever held one little dinosaurs little dinosaurs dinosaurs. that's what they are Uh, Sue Mendito thank you so much for joining us for this uh, whatever this is that we're we're wrapping up here with our talk of armadillo we just appreciate your patience with us my pleasure it was a lot of fun thank you for having me well you're a great sport and we hope you will come back and talk to us when we don't uh, we don't even have a conference to talk about we would love to have your uh, wisdom back on the show so thank you again uh, Sue Mendito for for joining us on the show Howard uh, as always thank you for your time and participation wisdom yeah and, and just for anybody that's listening to this that um, that's going, I look forward to meeting you. And secondly, and but you just said, Sue, there's a waiting list. Is that right? There's Yes, but are, there's always next year. <laughs> always next year. <laughs> Should open right. up registration now. Just start stacking them years out. Or do two a year. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that, Sue. <laughs> you don't need two a year. We'll take that under advisement. You never know. There you go. September 28th, 29th is just a couple of weeks from now. 2015 Planning and Budgeting Forum at the Hyatt Regency, Austin. Uh, Head over to nakubo.org. Go into the little events area and you'll find it. Uh, If you want to get some more information, thank you again. On behalf of Sue Mendito and Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. And we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Inc.